Welcome to Attorney Heart, the podcast focused on bringing awareness to and promoting attorney well-being. Join Attorney Heart as you embark on a journey to improve the quality of your professional and personal life. And now, here's your host, Fernando Flores. Looking up, there's always sky. Rest your head, I'll take you high. We won't fade into darkness. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Attorney Heart. This is your host, Fernando Flores. I really appreciate you tuning in to another episode. And before we get started with our next incredible guest, I want to tell you that when it comes to making a big professional transition, most of us will make such a transition alone and a lot of times without adequate support. One of the most common questions that I get from my coaching clients and from fellow attorneys is how I was able to make the transition from full-time litigator doing trial and appellate work to high-performance coach. And the good news is you don't have to do it alone. High-level professional transitions can be challenging, but if you plan adequately, if you connect deeply with your purpose and personal strengths, you can make that process a lot smoother. So definitely don't hesitate to send me an email to imatternow at gmail.com, I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W, so that you can find out how I can provide support to you in that area, and I promise you won't be disappointed. And I know, Kevin, you've gone through some high-level professional transitions yourself, so we're going to get right into that. Our next guest... Kevin Kish is the director of the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, also known as, for those of you who don't practice employment law, DFEH, and he was appointed to this position back in February 2015 by Governor Brown and confirmed by the California Senate in January 2016. DFEH is the largest state civil rights agency in the nation, and DFEH focuses on protecting its residents from unlawful discrimination in employment, housing, and public accommodations, and from hate violence and human trafficking as well. Kevin has frequently been named to top lawyer lists, including California Lawyers, Super Lawyers, and the Daily Journal's Top 75 Labor and Employment Lawyers. In 2016, Kevin was the recipient of the California Lawyers Clay Attorney of the Year Award. I had the great fortune of meeting Kevin back when I worked in Los Angeles, and he was directing the workers' rights program at Betzetic. So, Kevin, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I really appreciate you being on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. So, Kevin, uh, take us a, a little bit through through your background and your trajectory. You know, uh, uh, what what was uh, your particular interest in entering the legal profession? And if if you don't mind sharing, you know, what were a couple of the challenges that you faced? in becoming an attorney in that journey. Um, and you can open up even about challenges that you're facing now. Sure. Um, I did not um, plan on being a lawyer when I went to college. Uh, it was something that kind of came later. I took a, a couple years off and worked after college. And I think I became interested in a legal career because it seemed like a very direct way of making change and intervening in situations that I thought were not right, that weren't just. Um, law is uh, power in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I'd studied anthropology and I was interested in journalism and all of these different types of fields uh, are important and creating the society that we want to create. But there was something about law, the, the idea of um, the, the power behind law, um, the power to compel people to act in certain ways um, or to protect people from certain types of 
actions that attracted me. And so I went to law school to understand that, that power and that language. I didn't go to law school thinking that I would be a litigator. Uh, I was interested in international human rights. Um, I was interested in observing and reporting about uh, situations of injustice around the world. And, um, you know, my path is a little, uh, it's kind of by happenstance, like, like is true for many of us, I think. Um, I was looking for a public interest job. I, I had a federal clerkship for a year, but I had a year after graduation before that clerkship, and I was looking for a public interest job. And that SEDEC Legal Services in LA was alphabetically first on a list of public interest organizations. And I contacted them. They were interested. They needed somebody to work in employment rights. And that's where I went. Uh, and I started doing employment law. So um, that's uh, my, my, the start of my trajectory. Um, let's see. In terms of challenges, uh, <laughs> uh, when you, I think the challenges are different depending on the workplace. I think one of the things that's great about a public interest career or a legal aid job is that you never feel that your work is unimportant. Um, the challenges have to do with funding, with resources, with feeling that you have the resources and support to do the work that you uh, are there to do, um, but there's a great benefit, I think, in, in a practice where you believe in your clients and you um, really want to help them and uh, you are on their side. Uh, and so that kind of practice, I think, has a lot of um, reward, uh, a lot of richness um, that you might not find in, in another type of practice where you might have different uh, you know, benefits and drawbacks. And do you feel that the clients that you served and you represented when you were, you know, doing full-time litigation, are they, are they similar types of clients for whom your agency now stands up for? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, a little bit, uh, there is some overlap. So in a legal aid context, um, I represented all poor people, all uh, folks who really didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, and that population is an important constituency for the state civil rights agency, the people who are most likely to experience violations um, of many types of uh, anti-discrimination protections are in fact the working poor, um, but not exclusively. And so something like sexual harassment something like disability discrimination, something like um, gender-based pay disparities, those types of civil rights violations can impact and do impact uh, people across the economic spectrum, across industries, um, from you know, the, the powers of Silicon Valley to, or the campuses rather, to the low wage workplaces um, where I did most of my work as a legal aid lawyer, including places like trucking companies and car washes and garment factories and agricultural fields. Got it. And do you feel, Kevin, that the work that you did, um, you know, in representing clients in those employment disputes and standing up for their rights in the workers' context has informed how you direct 
and move forward the DFEH? Because I also know that you ended up prevailing in, back in 2009 in one of the first cases under the California Trafficking Victims Protection Act. And so, you know, was that something that you have brought to the agency, that background to represent those vulnerable communities as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> I guess the, <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, let me just take a st step back and say that as lawyers, we have the opportunity to wear many different hats. Uh, so that might just be in the context of a, of a practice, whether it's litigation or transactional, you're representing different clients and you have a different approach with different clients. They have different priorities and needs. So you wear different hats with each client. Um, we also have the opportunity to do things like serve on boards, to serve as you know, legal bodies um, that govern the profession, or to teach, or to take on government roles, or become judges, or, or what have you. And so I feel that there are many different opportunities for lawyers to wear different hats over the course of a legal career, which is one of the things I like about uh, the legal profession. And we bring our experiences with us when we put on those different hats. So certainly um, putting on this new hat of, a, of running a government enforcement agency, I brought with me my experience with low-wage workers. Um, and that means, yes, uh, to be attuned to how different communities, different vulnerable communities are suspicious of government, for example, how they might not be inclined to reach out. Um, to government if they experience a violation unless government has already been there creating trust on the ground. Um, on the other hand, uh, there were uh, populations and communities that I didn't have much experience with. And so I feel that part of my job um, in this role at the DFEH is to surround myself with people who do have that experience and to consult with them. So that might be um, people who have um, represented workers in um, higher paid industries. It might be understanding the needs of uh, small business owners um, in a way that I hadn't needed to do um, as a legal aid lawyer. It certainly means um, familiarizing myself with the housing community, both advocates for renters and tenants, as well as advocates for housing providers, and understanding what different um, concerns and priorities those uh, those constituencies have. So I definitely brought some legal aid uh, background with me, some, some experience and some commitments to uh, certain vulnerable communities, but it's always a learning process. And it's always, um, I think that learning as much as you can from people who have the widest possible spectrum of experience is always good uh, as a lawyer in any type of practice. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's so powerful, Kevin. And one of the points that you raised in particular, I feel is, is, is really important. And I want to ask you, you know, how, how do you work on that particular topic, that particular issue of building trust with the community that you are trying to, uh, you know, uphold their rights, right? How, how do you work on that particular issue, especially right now where there's you know, definitely a lot more, you know, anti-immigrant uh, talk and um, how, where, where do you see uh, your agency being, being effective in that regard? Yeah, well, part of it is I only think that the agency can be effective um, if people know that we're here. 
So part of it is just um, getting out there. And that might mean affirmatively reaching out to different groups to let us, to let them know um, that we're here. It certainly means uh, creating materials and presentations um, tailored to specific communities. So just as an example, we recently created a housing rights booklet in um, English and then the five so-called gateway languages in California, the languages spoken, the five languages spoken um, by the largest number of people in the state. And that's uh, Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, uh, Spanish, and Tagalog. And so to have those materials available um, is the first step. Um, then you have to get the materials into the community. And I have to say that for a lot of folks, and this is true across the board, not just in kind of uh, immigrant or emerging communities, but for all of us, um, knowing that there's a person behind the screen, um, kind of, you know, a Wizard of Oz analogy, knowing that <laughs> there's like a human being there. Um, uh, behind the hologram, I think is really important. And so that means, um, I think, first and foremost, being accessible, making sure that people know that they can contact you, whether it's me personally or another person in our agency, making sure that people understand that they have um, human contacts within the government um, to help shepherd them if they have questions or if they need to file a complaint. And then fundamentally, you have to you have to perform, right? Once people contact you, you actually have to do something. Um, if the complaint is filed, you have to competently investigate it. Uh, and so from that side, what that means for me, administering the programs of the agency is making sure that we are doing a good job recruiting and hiring folks who care about the laws that we enforce, making sure that we're providing training um, to our staff so that they understand um, the steps that they need to take to competently investigate a complaint. And it means, um, you know, making sure that they have the resources available to them to uh, negotiate a resolution, if that's what the parties want, or to understand um, when to close a case, when the evidence just isn't there, and when to move a case forward when it is. So I think it's, it's two-pronged. You're looking to the public and to different communities and trying to become accessible to them. Um, through personal contact, through materials, um, through having a website that people can navigate if they're online. And then it's also shoring up the skills and resources available to the staff of the government agency to make sure that they're equipped to respond once the public does come knocking at our door. Got it. And on that particular point that you mentioned in relation to the type of uh, advocates that you look for, uh, can you speak a little bit more on that for our listeners who are either in law school or are attorneys who are interested in, you know, applying to the DFEH and becoming an attorney at the DFEH? Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what what preparation they can do or what are some of the things that, that you look for in the agency for anyone that may be interested in applying? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the most important things that we did is to open up our hiring um, on a, in a lot of our job categories to a wider group of people. Um, to become an investigator at the DFEH, you don't have to have a law degree, although we do employ many investigators who do have a law degree. You don't have to be uh, barred. Um, you don't have to have gone to law school, um, but you can. And so 
you know, one of the things that uh, I like our hiring managers to ask is, why do you want to work at DFEH? Um, because ideally, people want to work at DFEH because they're committed to um, the enforcement of our state's civil rights laws, um, not because it was, uh, you know, a job that they thought they could just get. Right. Um, right. So, um, in state service, there are a lot of hurdles to hiring that don't exist in private practice, and so you do have to go online and take an examination um, before submitting your application. But really, anybody who's interested in the enforcement of civil rights laws, and they can come from many backgrounds, right? People come from social work backgrounds, they come from legal backgrounds, they come from um, investigation backgrounds, and anyone can do this work with the proper tools and resources and training. So I encourage folks from all different kinds of backgrounds to apply. I also think it's important to um, recruit as diverse a workforce as is humanly possible. I mean, we are charged with protecting every single community in California. Um, so we need people who have experience, um, personal experience in disability rights. We need people who understand what it means to grow up in a minority community in Fresno or wherever. Um, so we're looking for that. And then for our lawyers, um, you know, the, the agency is a little different than it used to be in the past. For the past five years, um, we've been a prosecutorial agency where we bring cases directly in court as opposed to going through an administrative hearing process. Mm. So frankly, when we're looking for lawyers, we're looking for people who want to litigate. Mm. Um, that's what we're okay. looking for. You know, again, I think diversity in background, diversity in experience um, enriches our team. So in the time that I've been here, we've hired people from legal aid organizations who are representing low-wage workers. We've hired people from defense backgrounds um, who have defended against uh, both individual and class uh, employment uh, complaints. We're looking for people with housing litigation experience, um, with general civil rights litigation experience. So I'd say for folks interested in, um, in working for the state, whether at the DFEH or at another state agency or the attorney general's office, um, some of the same things apply. You still go online, you take that exam. Um, it's not hard, but get on that list. Uh, be um, honest, but not modest when you're talking about your experience on the <laughs> uh, uh, You know, you have to hit some of those marks of, yes, you have analytical abilities. Um, but really, we're looking for, a, you know, pretty much any type of background or experience, as long as the person wants to litigate cases. That's kind of, uh, that's kind of key. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Kevin. I know oh, there's I, folks. I have one other thing to add to that, sure. which is we do have um, a legal fellow program. Um, mm. So for new um, or recent law graduates, um, including people who haven't yet uh, passed the bar, um, we have a program called the Graduate Legal Assistant Program. Cool. The Attorney General also has this program. And this is um, kind of similar to the Federal Department of Justice Honors Program. Um, it's a competitive application process. There's information on our website. Um, and it's a one-year paid uh, position for recent law graduates to come and get started working in state government and here at DFEH in particular, get started working in a civil rights litigation career. 
Oh, that's awesome, Kevin. That sounds like a, a great program for anyone that's starting out in their, in their career. That's really cool. Um, so I want to now uh, pivot slightly because one of the things that I really do also like to ask my guests and talk about because it's something that we don't tend to talk about is, you know, the, the stressors that we face at work, the potential worry and anxiety that we are under depending on the types of pressures that we have. And so I want to ask you, you know, to what extent have you seen those the stress source of litigation um, come into play as a director of the DFEH or are they different? You know, can you talk a little bit about that, Kevin, especially, uh, you know, this, this was a, I presume a big transition for you. And so it'd be great to just get your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the stress is different. So um, in uh, my legal aid career and as a litigator, you know, the stress comes from that litigation. You're in an adversarial posture um, against someone. And in my practice in legal aid, against someone who I think has, um, has violated the laws and, and needs to pay for it. Right. Um, the, the interesting thing about that stress was that I was more or less in control of uh, my performance, right? If I made a mistake, it was on me. Um, mm-hmm. If I forgot to ask a question in deposition, um, if I didn't ask for crucial information in discovery, that's kind of on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while that was stressful because I was very focused on getting those things right, right, technical proficiency and making sure that you're uh, vigorously advocating for your client, that you aren't leaving anything on the field um, in litigation, um, at the end of the day, uh, I felt that if I had prepared adequately and um, done what I needed to do, then, you know, I could put that stress to bed. I'd say uh, moving into a management position, moving into a position of administering rather than litigating um, brings with it a different set of concerns and stresses. It's not deadline driven. Um, I'm not, you know, up at night trying to finish a motion for filing or replying to a motion. Um, answering something. Uh, it's more diffuse in a sense. Um, there's always something that's, uh, that could be improved. There's always something that is um, maybe not going exactly as planned. Uh, there are always personality issues and personnel issues to deal with. Um, but also just, you know, are the programs of this agency, this department, this entity, are they... Um, are we doing our job? And I'm not entirely in control of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a staff who has to do their job. Uh, and so uh, you know, I, I get a lot less sleep, frankly, in this job than I did even as a litigator because I worry about things um, falling into place, right? Do we have the resources to do this? Do we have the people to do it? Um, do we have the training to do it? Um, what have I? What could I do to help support the, the team in accomplishing a goal that we have in serving the people of California? Um, so a different kind of stress, um, a little bit more outside of my individual or personal control, which I personally find a little bit more difficult to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime that we have stressors that are 
are not in our wheelhouse or are, are not directly something that we can try to improve on or resolve, it, it, it does get, it does elevate that level of, of stress that we feel about that issue. So thanks for sharing that, Kevin. That's a very unique perspective and, um, and you have it. So uh, I know that our, our listeners, if they ever consider um, making the transition to a directorship of a state agency, uh, you know, they can, they can definitely tap into that. Um, that conversation. Or just a managerial position, right? I mean, yeah, if you're true. at a law firm and you decide you're interested in, um, in leading a litigation team or becoming the directing partner or um, in a nonprofit, if you want to move from that's <laughs> true into management, it's a different set of skills for sure. And I have to say that as lawyers, it's not something that we are taught in. Um, we aren't trained to be uh, managers. We're trained to, uh, in, in, to some degree, we're trained to fight, yeah. um, which is not a skill that is particularly helpful when you're trying to manage a team. Well, I think, you know, you go law school, throughout law school learning IRAC, which is really an argumentative tool to use in your briefs, in the way that we write our letters and, you know, anything that we submit to the court uh, follows that format to some extent. But does IRAC come into play as a manager? Not really. You know, I mean, I think that that. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that one of the things that I have have learned in this role that actually would have been beneficial in every other job I've ever had is just understanding how different people's communication styles are and how those communication styles work together. Um, I think in law, exactly as you said, we're kind of trained to do point by point, IRAC or bullet or you know, answer first and here's why. And for a lot of folks, including a lot of lawyers, that's not actually the natural way that they are inclined to communicate. Um, and so understanding right. that in a workplace, um, in, a, in, a, in a litigation scenario, in a transactional scenario, in a negotiating scenario, understanding the different ways that people are communicating and the message, messages that they're sending you um, is really a helpful skill, not just for leadership, but just for life. And Kevin, I want to also follow up the question that I did. Um, how do you try to maintain a sense of balance now that you have these additional pressure, these additional stressors that are more, you know, outside of your uh, wheelhouse of control? What do you try to do to maintain that balance, Kevin? Yeah, I think that... Um, it's interesting. I think that certain professions are worse than others at instilling uh, the importance of having outside interests and activities. And I, I think that law is one of those professions that doesn't do as good of a job. Um, the work can be all consuming. Um, you are in service in many uh, types of practices in service to a client um, and the client has demands. Uh, in my practice, I'm, my client is the state, right? It's the department or the people of California. Uh, so it's a little bit more diffuse. Um, but it's equally important, I think, to carve out space that is not law, um, that is not work. And so everybody has got their, their things that they turn to. For me, it's being outdoors. Um, it's hiking and exercise and being in nature. Um, that takes me away from the words, from the reading, 
um, from the legal arguments that reminds me that there is a broader world, uh, that there <laughs> are you know, things other than um, briefs and people being unhappy. Uh, I think that's another element of being a lawyer is that very frequently um, what you're dealing with is unhappy people. Um, and I can tell you with the DFEH, nobody wants our services, right? Like nobody wants to, yeah. go to <laughs> nobody wants yeah. to hear from the DFEH. So you're dealing with people who um, are generally unhappy, um, people who in many circumstances are in a scenario of need, um, including extreme need. Um, so taking a step back from that and uh, carving out time, again, for me, being in nature, being in trees, being outdoors, um, that is what allows me to keep going. That's awesome, Kevin. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I really appreciate just kind of your take on on the importance of making that, creating that space for yourself to just disconnect. And then also, it, it's true as a profession, and it, it starts in law school, you know, I don't remember my professor saying, hey, make sure you, you take time uh, this weekend to go on a, a long hike so you can disconnect. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't what we were, we were taught. It's like, oh, make sure that you get your assignment done. You know, it's due next Monday. Right. Um, so, uh, Kevin, I really want to uh, be respectful of your time. I appreciate you being on Attorney Heart. Um, if folks wanted to get more information about the DFEH or how they could potentially join the DFEH, where could they go to? What are some resources they can look up? Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I include them in the show notes as well. Absolutely. So our website is www.dfeh.ca.gov. Um, we've tried to expand and streamline our website to provide a lot of information, both about how we work and about the laws we enforce. We have a jobs page um, where we post our job opportunities. If anybody is watching right now, we do have investigator and lawyer positions open. Um, so folks should feel free to go and poke around. And for law students um, who are interested in our Legal Honors Fellowship Program, there's also information about that program on our job site. Awesome, Kevin. Thank you so much. I, again, really appreciate your time. I appreciate you being on. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Attorney Hard. I hope you found the uh, this interview helpful in some way, whether you know you're you're considering working at the DFEH or doing civil rights work, uh, very important work, very needed work right now. And uh, you know, uh, thank you, Kevin, for all the work that you have done and that you are doing, and that I am sure you will continue to do. Thanks, Fernando. All right, take care, Kevin. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Fernando, your host of Attorney Heart. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode. If you enjoyed this episode definitely subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. And if it can benefit anyone that you know, please share it. Attorney Heart is brought to you by iMatterNow. I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W. Please make sure to check our website at imatternow.com. Again, I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Every day presents an opportunity to engage in self-care. And remember that it is not selfish to take care of your well-being it is necessary. So take care and connect with you on the next Attorney Heart episode.